listeners and welcome to a special edition of the Partial Historians. It's just Dr. Rad flying solo here because this is a bit of an emergency broadcast. Now I know what you're thinking, don't you talk about ancient Rome, is an emergency therefore a bit dramatic because Rome was, you know, a long time ago. You are correct listeners, it's so intelligent, that's why you listen to this podcast. However, something pretty big happened in my life today and Dr. G and I agreed that we needed to send out an episode to talk a little bit about it. So today, the 6th of February 2020, 60 years after the release of a film called Spartacus in 1960, Kirk Douglas, the star of said film, has died at the age of 103. Now, loyal listeners will know my fondness for ancient Rome and its continued life on the screen, both big and small. And if you are really keen listener, you will know that Spartacus has a particular place in my heart. And I just couldn't let this, uh, this huge event go without comment. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about Kirk Douglas today, sort of tribute to him, uh, because I think he was a pretty amazing character, uh, although not without his flaws, of course. Um, and share a little bit of my love for him and his work with you on this day. So I say Kirk Douglas, but the man we're talking about today wasn't actually born with such a name. His original name was actually Issa Danielovich, and that's because he was the son of Russo-Ukrainian immigrants uh, who moved to New York, obviously, a little bit over 100 years ago. Now, as you can probably imagine, it was not an easy life for young Isser growing up in New York in these days, and not only because his family was uh, relatively large and he was the only boy, uh, not only because he had a somewhat difficult relationship with his father, uh, not only because of the poverty that they experienced, but because they were also Jewish. And this is a time in the world where, uh, I mean, it still exists these days, but more widespread, the sort of anti-Semitic attitudes. And so certainly the family experienced discrimination. I mean, sometimes, you know, Kirk Douglas himself experienced outright violence. Uh, so it wasn't exactly an easy an easy time to grow up or an easy place to grow up. Um, and Kirk Douglas's father found it quite difficult to find, you know, steady work. Uh, and this is sort of acknowledged in the title of Kirk Douglas's first autobiography, The Ragman's Son. So his dad was a ragman uh, from the time when he was growing up. So he basically meant he would sort of pull together whatever scraps he could find and, you know, sort of go around the neighborhood with a little cart, you know, sort of selling things on. So as you can imagine, it sounds pretty, pretty tough, pretty grim, uh, which makes it all the more amazing that this young boy managed to become such a big star in Hollywood uh, eventually. And I think that's because maybe because of the difficulties when he was growing up, Kirk Douglas seems to have developed quite a lot of uh, resilience and self-confidence. Uh, sometimes later in his life, perhaps a little bit too much of those qualities were on show, but certainly it helped him to get where he needed to go. I mean, let's face it, to become huge in any industry, you probably have to be a little bit of an egomaniac, but particularly a place like Hollywood. So uh, I think he really started to make his mark in the 1940s. Certainly it's like the 1940s and the 1950s I most associate with my favorite roles that he played. So if you're interested in checking out some stuff other than The Magnificent Spartacus from this uh, time in his career, I would definitely recommend that you check out 
um, Letters, A Letter to Three Wives. I absolutely adore that movie. He doesn't have the largest role in it or anything, but I just think it's an amazing movie to watch and probably one that they will never remake because it kind of relies on a, a lack of technology being available. You know, smartphones these days, I don't know how that storyline would work, but he's just so natural in that. I think that's the thing I always liked about Kirk Douglas' acting style. He he never seems stagey. He always has a real a really modern feel to the way that he performs in these sorts of roles. And I think you can kind of see that in, in that particular movie. Um, Detective Story, I think, was also a great one from 1951. I really, really liked The Bad and the Beautiful. That's, I think, a, a really good one. And he was nominated for an Academy Award for that one. If you like sort of grittier roles um, that also show, I suppose, a, a big turning point in Kirk Douglas's career. In the 1940s, when he was making it, he was offered a part in a big MGN uh, movie called The Great Sinner. It's going to be you know, a big extravaganza, star-studded cast, the whole lot. But instead of doing that, Kirk Douglas took a big risk against the advice of his agent at the time and decided to go for an independent film that was quite low budget called The Champion about a boxer. And that film is definitely seen as one of, I think, his best acting performances. That was actually his first Academy Award nomination. Uh, and then if we sort of fast forward a little bit, um, you could also see a movie called Paths of Glory, which I think is actually available on some streaming services these days. Um, Paths of Glory is a really powerful film. I mean, definitely, I think, one of the best war movies I've ever seen. And I, I'm not actually really into war movies, but I think that that movie is uh, an amazing story with a with a really powerful performance from Kirk Douglas. And that was also notable for being the first time that he worked with a little-known director, or at least he was little-known then, called Stanley Kubrick, who would come back into his life in a big way and in a way that I have really had to pay attention to over the years. Um, so, yeah, there are some, there are some of my, my top tips. Uh, I know also some people, if you like Westerns, you might like to check out Lonely Are the Brave, which comes from the 1960s, just after Spartacus. That's also a pretty well-known role of his, so check those out. Anyway, so... During the 1950s, Kirk Douglas made a, a pretty ballsy move, apart from some of his film choices. Uh, the 1950s was a time when the film industry was really starting to change. So television had come along. Um, there'd been a Supreme Court ruling against the studios having quite the monopoly that they used to have in the late 1940s. Um, and that had really started to change the industry as well. It was obviously, you know, post-World War II. You know, America was truly recovering from that. Society was changing. So big time. Uh, but Kirk Douglas is one of the earliest stars of that era to decide to found his own production company to make movies. Um, doesn't sound like a lot today because we're kind of used to uh, Hollywood stars being involved in the making of movies, but it was a pretty big move back then when the film industry was dominated by a handful of very powerful studios. So as you can see, Kirk Douglas, a baller, always. <laughs> uh, and, a, and a bit of an egomania perhaps, but yeah. Very charismatic, always, always, always. Uh, anyway, so he'd, met, he'd founded this, his own production company and he started to make his own films uh, with his production company. It was very small. Um, he kind of had his heart set on making, oh, you know, on, on uh, actually starring in a particular role as we moved to the late 1950s, and that was Ben-Hur. Now, if you know anything about film from this time, you will know that Ben-Hur does not star Kirk Douglas as the titular hero. It stars a man called Charlton Heston, who also had a pretty notable career in Hollywood and also lived a really long time. Um, so Kirk Douglas obviously missed out on that role. Uh, he was offered a part in that movie. He was offered the uh, the second lead. He was going to be the bad guy opposite Charlton Heston's 
uh, title hero, but he decided he didn't really want to do that. You know, he, he wanted to play the hero. And so he was feeling a bit down in the dumps. And then his colleague uh, that he was working with suggested a book that had been passed on to him by his wife. Uh, so this is Ed Lewis. Uh, Ed Lewis had been reading Spartacus at his wife's suggestion. Now, Spartacus was a novel by a guy called Howard Fast, um, who'd actually self-published the book because by the time he had written it, he was uh, pretty much you know, persona non grata because of his communist affiliations. Uh, the other big thing that was happening in the 1950s, the Red Scare, uh, panic, you know, red, Reds Under the Beds, a very, very anti-communist time in America as a whole, but um, definitely in Hollywood. The 1950s is the period known as the blacklist, when a whole bunch of people who either had some sort of affiliations with communist organizations or had had in the past or were suspected of having them, you know, a lot of innocent people got caught up in this, in this horrible period. Um, they were basically prevented from working in the film industry. Now, for people who were directors and actors, obviously that's a disaster. It basically means career over. Uh, the only people who managed to sort of limp on were some of the screenwriters because they could sometimes get away with using fake names or getting other people who were friends of theirs to, you know, pose as their fronts and that sort of thing. Um, anywho, so Kirk Douglas decided that this was this was the story he'd been looking for. You know, it really, you know, breathed heroism, as he said. Um, and I think also he he tried to sort of claim that there was some sort of link between his you know, his own background, you know, that's the sort of Jewish heritage and, and the, the fact that ancient Rome was, you know, built on the backs of slaves and that sort of thing. Probably, you know, getting a little bit poetic there, Kirk, but hey, whatever. I'll give it to you. Uh, anyway, either way, he ends up making this film. And it's quite an amazing story and one that I've devoted a lot of time to because it almost didn't get made. As tends to oddly be the hap uh, happen in Hollywood, is someone else has the same idea at the exact same time as you. So whilst Kirk Douglas was getting all excited with Ed Lewis about making Spartacus, there was another film about this gladiator who had rebelled against Rome in the late Republic and enjoyed some success uh, that was on the cards with Yul Brynner and his fledgling production company. Now, Yul Brynner also was a pretty big deal at this time period. You know, he'd made some, some of the biblical epics that I spent my childhood watching, and he was also in movies like The King and I, I mean, who could forget? Uh, and so he was really interested in making a film based on the novel The Gladiators, which is also about the rebellion. And for a while, these films were really neck and neck. You know, one would pull ahead slightly in terms of, you know, getting the production along the, along the way, and then the other one would pull ahead. And really, I think the thing that sets this apart is actually Kirk Douglas. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people are working on both projects, and certainly there are a lot of external factors to consider, which I don't have the time to go into here. But Kirk Douglas's determination and his sort of workaholic attitude at this point in time, I think is really a big factor in the fact that his film ended up getting made. I feel like Yul Brynner sort of pulled back a little bit or would, you know, sort of go on to other projects in the meantime. Um, maybe he was hoping to sort of wait it out and see what happened. But definitely, I think Kirk Douglas's determination uh, deserves uh, a lot of credit. You know, this is, this is where his ego comes in handy. I have a theory, listeners. And that's it. that is, if, if you ever wanted to get Kirk Douglas to do anything, you just tried to tell him that he couldn't do it, and he would do it. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, basically had to retrain himself to, you know, walk and talk again after having a stroke, surviving a helicopter crash, all that sort of thing. This is, this is a guy who you don't want to tell him he can't do something. So anyway, um, basically, it really was a race to see who could get their film to the screen first, you know, who could get it into production first. 
And this was pretty key in terms of shaping the eventual film that we see uh, when we when we watch this movie nowadays, in that one of the things that Kirk Douglas really wanted to do was he wanted to have, you know, a stellar cast. So for his Roman characters, he had his heart set on particular people like Laurence Olivier, Charles Lawton, Peter Euston, up with big names, uh, you know, big name British actors at that point in time. Uh, and in order to entice them over to his project, he really needed to have a good script, obviously. It's something they'd be interested in. Um, and so in order to – and this this was not an easy task in itself. I mean, they, they had originally asked uh, Howard Fast, the guy who'd written the novel, you know, obviously seemed like a logical choice, I suppose, and he also was keen to have a go. They got him to write a script and see how that turned out. Now, they weren't thrilled with the outcome. So unbeknownst to Fast, they also started turning to a guy who was who was blacklisted, who had been a screenwriter, very well known, uh, called Dalton Trumbo. Uh, Dalton Trumbo is perhaps a little bit more of a recognisable name than he was when I first wrote my thesis because of the movie about him, Brian Cranston. Definitely check it out. Very interesting film. Um, but Dalton Trumbo had been on the blacklist for ages, you know, just as long as Howard Fast, really. Um, but he'd managed to keep going and work in the screen industry secretly uh, all this time. So Dalton Trumbo was interested. He started pumping out scripts. Kirk Douglas managed to get the British actors on board. Bing, bada, boom. Seems like he's got a movie, right? The only thing is, because Kirk Douglas was already, you know, obviously attached to the project, there was no question about that, they didn't really focus terribly much on the slave side of the story because they knew that he was a sure thing. Uh, and then when they started filming, they ran into just problem after problem. Now, I don't really have time to go into that now. If you want to hear more about that, you can check out our past episode on Spartacus. But essentially, it wasn't an easy production process. Uh, a big part of that, I think, being the fact that they had all these larger-than-life personalities and a lot of them with just tremendous experience in the film industry and not just as actors, you know. A lot of their actors were also writers and directors and producers themselves. Um, so I am thinking people like Laurence Olivier here. Um, and then even people who perhaps weren't super experienced, like Stanley Kubrick. I mean, he had a few films under his belt, but he certainly wasn't like a big name or anything. Stanley Kubrick had been brought on to start directing the film after they'd had to hire the first, uh, sorry, fire the first director, you know, a mere couple of weeks into shooting. And Stanley Kubrick came on board with a lot of confidence. I mean, he and Kirk Douglas really clashed at, at certain points during the production of this film. And I think it's because they had a similar character trait. And that is they both had very big ideas and egos to match. Um, and so... They had managed to work together okay on Paths of Glory, although, you know, there were some periods of tension. But Spartacus was really the film that seems to have put the nail in the coffin as far as their uh, their cosy relationship was concerned. Um, but certainly during the production itself, I mean, it's not like they hated each other from the beginning. Kirk Douglas really liked his ideas. I mean, that's why he brought him on board. He thought he was doing new and different and bring a fresh perspective, and he certainly did that. Uh, in fact, some of the things I love most about Spartacus were actually thanks to Stanley Kubrick. Um, so I really, I really do like Kirk Douglas's performance in this film. I think that's why it's always stood out for me, particularly in the first half of the movie where um, really see a lot of Stanley Kubrick's directing and bringing out the best in Kirk Douglas and the best in the script. So a lot of stuff that happens at the Gladiator School during the training scenes, ugh, I think it's just magnificent. Great job to both of them. Anywho, um, it wasn't just them, though. There were lots of characters involved on the set and essentially a lot of ideas flying around. Now, this is where Kirk Douglas perhaps falls down a little bit in that he wasn't a super experienced producer at this point in time. You know, he was still 
learning the tricks of the trade. And he was working ridiculously hard during this period in terms of all the different things he had going on in his life and in his work life. Um, and so he seems to have kind of allowed um, a lot of changes to be made or a lot of ideas to be explored or introduced that perhaps weren't part of the original vision. And with a blacklisted screenwriter on board, this was kind of tricky because Dalton Trumbo couldn't be seen on the lot. You know, he had to always be contacted, you know, at a distance. Um, great for me because it means there's a lot of documentation that you can look at now. And uh, you can certainly look at a lot of the script versions. You can see how the story changed. Um, and so, yeah, the slave story and Spartacus and his compatriots, like, you know, his his love interest for Inier and his sidekick Crixus, they often got overlooked, I think, in the development here. You know, they, they were trying so hard to knock your Brenner out that they got that Roman side of the story developed first. Uh, and then their vision for what should be the overarching, you know, story, what should be the moral of this film, um, how Spartacus should be, how his followers should be, that really changed a bit, you know, during the production. Now, I don't, I can't say for absolute certain um, what goes on, obviously, on the film set, but certainly it seems that Kirk Douglas got a bit of a name for himself. His nickname on set was apparently General Mixmaster because he seems to really like, you know, playing around with things. And this is a little bit of a problem. When they put together the first rough cut, not everybody was thrilled, most notably Dalton Trumbo, who Kirk Douglas has smuggled onto the lot to have a look, you know, see what he thought of the film. And so they ended up doing some reshoots to try and sort of balance out the fact that the Roman side of the film was just so much more interesting. Um, so in a way, the eventual film that we get to see is a bit of a, a mishmash, you know, something that's sort of been taped together. And it's almost it's almost as though you've got sort of two films that were shot separately and then pasted together. Not quite, obviously, but that's kind of the feel that you get when you, when you look at exactly how things uh, played out. Um, and of course, there, some of these, uh, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, some of these reshoots and exactly uh, whether all of them were used and, and all of that kind of thing. But I mean, the end film, I still think is very, very powerful. I still love that movie. Obviously, it's why I've dedicated so much of my life to it. And I still write about Spartacus to this day. So Kirk Douglas, thank you. You know, you've had a huge impact. And, and certainly, I really liked him. I really liked uh, you know, looking at his memos and, and even on paper, his charisma really, really does come through. But he certainly bears a responsibility for the fact that this film was perhaps not all that it could be. Um, perhaps, perhaps it could have been something that these days maybe doesn't appear quite as dated to certain people. I'm still a fan though. Uh, however, probably the most notable thing about this movie for most people is that it's known as the film that broke the blacklist. So when Spartacus finally premiered, up on screen for the first time in over a decade, the name of Dalton Trumbo as the screenwriter. Uh, now, that's problematic in its own respect because there were multiple people that wrote for this, but we're not going to go into that now. Uh, Dalton Trumbo, up on the screen. Now, this wasn't the end of the blacklist by any means, and it also wasn't the first movie in the world to list a blacklisted screenwriter. It's just in, within America. Uh, and certainly, I don't think Kirk Douglas went into this project, uh, nor did any of the other people he was working with. I don't think they went into it thinking that that's what they were going to do. You know, that not only were they going to make a great movie about Spartacus based on this novel that they liked, but they were also going to break the blacklist. Uh, but certainly at some point in the production, I think probably quite late in the production, uh, it started to become a thing that Kirk Douglas decided he was going to do. And I don't want to play down the risk. You know, it certainly was a risk. So Kirk Douglas does deserve credit. His production company does deserve credit for taking quite a bold step. Because even with 
Spartacus out there, even with the seeming approval of the president at the time, JFK, it certainly was something that continued to cause problems for people. You know, the, the blacklist and its legacy really did tick over into the 1960s. I mean, for some people, you know, really up until 1970, they were still having problems. So certainly that particular film and that moment in Kirk Douglas's life will always stand out as something of particular significance. So there you go. There's a little bit of background about uh, the man we call Kirk Douglas, who lived to be an amazing 103 years old in spite of all the various mishaps he's had in his later years and health problems. Um, A truly fascinating, charismatic, egomaniac, (laughs) inspiring, frustrating, general mixmaster of a person. I pay so much tribute to you. My, My little heart breaks that I never got to talk to you after spending, you know, 20 years of my life working on this movie that you made. Um, So I pay tribute to you. My sympathies go out to your family. And I hope that you listeners will be inspired to go and check out some of his uh, his back catalogue in his memory today. And of course, I feel it would be remiss of me to end this podcast without mentioning a line that although Kirk Douglas never says it in any of his movies, it is perhaps most associated with him. And that is, of course, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus. Spartacus.